This episode of the Cascadian Beer Podcast is made possible by our backers on Patreon. If you want to support the creation of this podcast series, you can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash Cascadian Beer. I've left Cascadia and ventured to Denver, Colorado, where I was fortunate enough to attend the Great American Beer Festival 2017. This is my first time at the festival, and I had such a great experience, I've documented it in this episode. Welcome to the Cascadian Beer Podcast. My name's Aaron and I'm a Cascadian. I have a background in radio and television broadcasting. I'm a music producer and I have a passion for beer. I don't consider myself an expert in beer by any means, but I do enjoy and respect the craft and the passion of these brewmasters. I want to learn from these pioneers on what sets them apart from the rest and why they choose to call Cascadia their home. Cascadia is a bioregion in the Pacific Northwest on the North American continent. It is made up of the U.S. states of Washington and Oregon, as well as the Canadian province of British Columbia. In this podcast series, I profile the unique breweries of Cascadia, a region that has a strong presence on the international beer scene. Slightly different in this episode today, I've come to Denver to not only learn about the trending beers from around the country, but also to see how influential the Pacific Northwest has been to the brewing industry. To start things off with my series of interviews from the Great American Beer Festival, I spoke with the man who started it all. Oh, I'm Charlie Papazian, uh, founder and past president of the Brewers Association, American Home Brewers Association, the Great American Beer Festival, author of The Complete Joy of Home Brewing. Mm-hmm. And we're at the Great American Beer Festival. Yes, the and 36th. And I'm here to talk to you because you created Pi Day. Now, not not the mathematical <laughs> equation, but you're a lover of pie. Right? Yes, I am. I uh, established back in the Late 70s, when I was a school teacher with kids, I schemed with my students to establish my birthday as National Pie Day. Right. And it took on a life of its own after <laughs> oh, well, people got, they thought it was the greatest idea since apple pie. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever made a beer pie? I've never made a beer pie, but I've had some, you know, apple pie and barley wine are a really good combination. Yeah, in the dead of winter, like, yeah. So uh, the Great American Beer Festival, a lot is owed to you for, for the creation of this with the Brewers Association and everything. But I really want to know, how did beer find you? How did beer find me? Yeah. Beer found me. It was hiding in the basement of a home brewer in Charlottesville, Virginia. And he was an old timer that brewed beer during Prohibition. And uh, he was a friend of mine. I was introduced to him when I was asked the question, hey, Charlie, have you ever had homebrew? Do you want to taste homebrew? I have my neighbor makes homebrew. I said, well, I never knew you could make homebrew. Sure, I'll try it. Went over to his home and he went down to his basement to get the good stuff. It was so much more interesting than the 69 cents a six-pack Valentine ale we were drinking as students at the University of Virginia yeah. that we uh, got a recipe that was four lines on a little postcard-sized piece of paper, and from there, it kind of discovered itself. Right. Do you remember <laughs> that first beer? Oh, yeah. The Well, the first beer, yeah, I did. It was actually 
quite good, as we say in the brewing world. Uh, quite clean. Didn't taste old. It was smooth. It had an apple cidery taste because it has so much sugar in it. Yeah. Not very much malt. Yeah. But it, it was it was pretty good. It was made with supermarket malt extract, hop flavored malt extract, which was about all, the only thing you could get in those days. Yeah. And uh, lots of sugar and bread yeast and. Mm -hmm. I don't know how he made it so good because when I saw his recipe, the first beers, first two batches I made, I threw out. It was undrinkable. But I was just like most craft brewers and home brewers in the world today. I was pretty persistent. Yes, I knew it could be done. Yeah. <laughs> so you started teaching homebrew classes then, but it was still actually illegal at the time, right? Was was there like a secret code word or something to get into your class? I mean, like what? Yeah, what, what happened you know, there? I think people told us that it was illegal, but. It didn't phase us one single bit. It was fun. People enjoyed it. And, you know, it was inconceivable that you could get busted for having a good time and sharing beer with friends. I yeah. mean, so we just pursued it. And I, I taught beer classes in Boulder, Colorado, where I moved after I graduated from University of Virginia. And, I, you know, I was just coming across newspaper articles and, and such that were dated 1975, 1976, I was featured in the Denver Post and the Daily and the Boulder newspapers quite a bit in those days, but never got busted. I think that if I did get busted, home brewing would have become much more popular quick, more quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here comes that rebel. I would have, I would have been a, a martyr. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how long from teaching homebrew then to you writing your book, The Joy of Homebrewing? Well, I had, to ha I had a syllabus two or three page syllabus when I started teaching my beer class, homebrew class, came a six page syllabus. So then it became a 10 page document. And then I decided to write a book and self-published it. It was about a 70 page book called The Joy of Brewing. And then a publisher out of New York took an incredible leap of faith and I signed the contract to write The Complete Joy of Homebrewing. And that was the big, that was the big volume that most people got got started with from the releasing of the book was that like an instant like overnight success or did it take a little time to gain traction it took a little bit of time because you know in 1984 when it came out most home brewing books cost 295 or three bucks and my book cost 895 and homebrew a lot of homebrew stores wouldn't carry it because it was too expensive but what happened was that people were just it was word of mouth and people would get it at the bookstores. And so there were a lot of sales through the bookstores. And then their homebrew shops kind of figured it out. Like they were missing out <laughs> on being able to sell a $9 book. Yeah. And they, they started carrying it about. It took about a year and a half for it to really kind of catch on in the homebrewing community of the system. But it, it went really quickly in the, in, the, in the bookstores and stuff. I heard you refer to in a talk that you don't consider the original brewery, craft brewery owners as uh, pioneers, you said that uh, you referred to them as explorers. Can you kind of, oh, can, yeah. you, can you kind of define that term a little <laughs> bit, what, what you meant by that? Yeah, there are pioneers of, of craft brewing and then there are explorers. You know, explorers would go into, the, into a jungle, mm -hmm. into a world that was totally unmapped, unchartered, unknown, not knowing what was there. And that's what the early craft brewers were up to because there was no equipment they didn't know how there were no books there was no roadmap so to speak and so the pioneers that came afterwards 
not, you know, shortly afterwards, at least they had some kind of sense of a roadmap and, of, you know, they learned from a few mistakes that the, the other brewers, it was tough. I mean, it wasn't like the pioneers were getting into it because the original explorers had so much success because it took them a 10 to 15 years to get their ball rolling. Uh, yep. They were a pretty persistent bunch of people, too. So how did you meet the famous uh, beer journalist, uh, Michael Jackson? Back in 19... I met him for the first time in 1981 when we had invited him to our American Home Brewers Association conference in Boulder, Colorado. And prior to that, I heard his voice on the radio because he was doing radio commercials for Henry Weinhardt's Great. Private Reserve, which had these mystical hops called Cascade Hops from Yakima, mm -hmm. Washington. And that was pretty legendary beer commercials because no other brewery in that time was advertising beer on its, on its merits of taste and flavor. And here was this British-sounding guy talking about Henry Weinhardt's private reserve. And I didn't know, even know that he lived in the UK. I thought he may have been somebody who lived in the USA, but... I tracked him down and gave him a call. Somehow there was a, you know, beer people kind of have a network of yep. figuring out stuff. And he said, yeah, just get me a ticket and I'll be there. You mentioned the Home Brewers Conference. When, when did that start? And then when was the creation of the Brewers Association? Well, the American Home Brewers Association was founded in 1978 with a premier publication of Zymergy Magazine in December of 78. Our first conference was, and get-together and competition was in February, I think, or March of uh, 1979. So that's, that's when the first event started and when the organization, American Homebrewers Association, was founded. And then by 80, 1983, there were enough people, homebrewers, wanting to start breweries that we established what we call the Institute for Brewing Studies, which was an organization that served the needs of all these startup microbrewers and then eventually you know evolved into the association of brewers and then we merged with another organization and now it's called the brewers association and the american home brewers association still exists within the structure of what we do so then what was the catalyst to start uh, the great american beer festival in 1981 after i met michael jackson between him and also some contacts i had with Campaign for Real Ale, I got invited to come and judge beer at the Campaign for Real Ale's Great British Beer Festival, and I had never been to England or the UK before. And so I went over there and visited Michael, stayed with him uh, while we explored British pubs, and then I did my own tour, and then we went to the Great British Beer Festival. And after that experience, I said to Michael, what do you think of the idea of a great American beer festival? And he said, well... Great idea, Charlie, but where would you get the beer? <laughs> I mean, because there wasn't very much beer in the U.S. Yeah. in those days. And back in 82, there was 42 brewing companies that existed. Most of it was American light lager. How have your expectations changed from the first Great American Beer Festival to what it is today? Like, what surprised you most along the way? <laughs> well, my expectations fundamentally was my friends and I just thought this was such a cool idea to have a beer festival that celebrated the diversity of what was left of American beer culture. And so we, you know, we sought the more interesting beers that these 20 breweries that we've, that donated beer. So our expectations was hopefully we can break even 
Hopefully, we people will give us beer so we can <laughs> offer it at a festival. Hopefully, we can get it to Boulder. Hopefully, people come and it happened. So, expectations now. I mean, you're almost just you're just spoiled for choice at this point, right? Yeah, I know. With the number yeah. of breweries. Yeah. I don't have. I never walk into the beer festival with expectations. I never really have. I mean, I was kind of being a little bit facetious with my my answer of the early days, but it's such a such an exploratory event. I mean, every time I come to the Great American Beer Festival, and I've been into all 36 years of them, it's I, I still feel like an explorer. Yeah. <laughs> I can walk around and find and discover new stuff that I never knew existed. Yeah, there I know there are maps and guides and programs and there, stuff. There's but an app. <laughs> I just walk in because I know I'm going to have a good time just wandering around, meeting people and finding beers that I never had before and finding beers that I've had before that I want to try again. I'm from the Pacific Northwest, so I have to ask you, from your observation, how important has the Pacific Northwest played in terms of the beer culture in America? I think the Pacific Northwest was the original area that really embraced microbrewing, craft brewing, call it what you want. I mean, we did our thing in Colorado, and we had a core group of people, but there was Boulder Beer, and it was years before brew pubs became legal. That was in the mid-80s. But Northwest had things going on. There was a community of professional craft brewers and home brewers. Burt Grant with his brew pub out there. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. People talk, you know, we had our thing going in Colorado, but Colorado then those days had less than 2 million people. And we were far, you know, distances. I mean, we had core people in Boulder and Denver. But other than that, there wasn't much going on. And we stuck together and we love what we did. And we, people, I mean, I have to say that if it weren't for the volunteers and the home brewers in the Denver Boulder area, this event would never have happened. So do you homebrew anymore? I sure do. Right. What, what do you got uh, working at the moment? Well, I got one beer lagering. I got uh, two IPAs, two different IPAs. I have a dark lager. I have a Oktoberfest-style beer. I have a Hellas, German-style Hellas, and I have a, uh, what I call a Bohemian-style lager, but it's not really that because I put a lot of cool different ingredients in it. I'm always brewing a little bit outside of the styles. I mean, I, I would have a trouble entering competitions. <laughs> so I have a listener question for you, too. Being uh, such a presence in the in the beer culture, do you feel that pressure at all from you know being the the guy that's kind of been the ringleader for for beer in North America? Does does has that affected you at all personally? Do I feel pressure because I'm such a iconic kind of guy and people look? No, because beer is fun and most people I encounter are not looking at me to make sure that they can make an extra buck. <laughs> Uh, that's not really the attitude that drives our organization. I mean, it's part of it. You got to stay in business, and we do a lot of stuff for businesses. But it's for the love of beer, and you know, we all respect each other's tastes in beer. Everybody likes different beers, and even I have my own preferences. And so, no, nah, I don't feel the, I don't feel pressure. Uh, maybe if I was CEO of a car company or a, something like that, or I would, or a grocery store, I would, but not beer. I heard you say you like to listen to your beer. Would that be your number one tip for homebrewers to make, oh, to make better beer? 
Well, if you're going to listen to your beer, keep your eyes open and your mouth open, too, because that's, that's, those are the other two aspects of it. But Fred Eckhart from the Northwest, he's the one that came up with that saying, listen to your beer. He taught me to listen to your beer because you can take that in the transcendental state of listening or you could actually, you know, when you open that beer, whether it's in a can or a bottle, if you've opened up as many bottles of beer as I have, you learn about a little bit about the quality of the beer be, before you even see it or drink it or smell it from listening to it. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. So yep. thank you. Welcome. Big thank you to Charlie Papazi and thank you so much for your time. Hope you guys enjoyed that interview. And now let's get into the festival. I was getting pretty overwhelmed even before it started. I'm uh, in the hallway here at the Great American Beer Festival. It's my first time feeling a little overwhelmed and I'm in the media holding pen because they won't let us in just yet. And I'm with Josh Howard with Focus on the Beer and Dane Skousen Focus on the Beer. Now, uh, how many times have you guys been? I've been here about eight times. I went a couple, three years before coming in as media. So I've done this quite a few times uh, and multiple nights each time. It's an awesome event. I mean, I, w I won't tell you otherwise. Yeah, same thing for me, about eight years running now, uh, on and off, but uh, I'd say about a solid eight years. Okay, so this is my first time. What are some practical tips here? And this is actually my first time in Denver as well. Practical tips, number one, you're three to five beers in already. Uh, that altitude is going to kick your ass no matter where you're from, no matter how much you can drink, how much you can't drink. Just imagine you're three to five beers in already and start from there. Yeah, to kind of expound on that, you know, I always say take your tolerance and half it and see how you feel. Because altitude basically has your alcohol tolerance. And then the fact that it's super dry here, I mean, we are a high desert. You're dehydrated to begin with just by landing here. The, the, the air is sucking the moisture out of you. So lots of water, uh, definitely something you want to do. I recommend like a, one cup of, of water an hour while you're here, no matter what. Even if you're not at the festival, a cup of water an hour. Uh, but yeah, figure that your tolerance is halved just because of the altitude. It, it hits you that hard. All right, so focus on the beer. What do you guys do? Uh, we are a beer blog out of Colorado Springs, Colorado. We cover all of Colorado, basically, but also national. We try to make it a point to cover you know any beer news, beer releases. We do blind taste tests on our podcast. If you're interested in our podcast at all, you can find us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And we also have our website, focusonthebeer.com, where we post articles and photo recaps and things like this. So you can look for our Great American Beer Festival coverage after the fact. We did publish a couple of guides ahead of time. So we're trying to stay on top of it as best we can. <laughs> All right. And uh, what's happening in Colorado Springs in, ter in terms of the breweries? Lots of stuff. Lots of new breweries opening up. Uh, lots of new uh, beer halls, uh, beer pubs opening up. So uh, Colorado Springs is definitely booming. Uh, Denver was real big in the last couple of years. Fort Collins was real big in the last couple of years. Uh, hopefully, and I think more on the hopeful side, but I think Colorado Springs is going to be the next big thing in Colorado beer at least. In terms of breweries, people winning uh, medals, that sort of thing. Right. So I'm from the Pacific Northwest. What do you guys know beer-wise from the Pacific Northwest? Uh, we know a few of the good ones from Oregon. Boneyard is always on our radar. Hub Brewing. In fact, the, the founder of the blog, Eric Steen, uh, is out there as one of their... I forget what his role is at Hub, but he, he's managing like their media and, and stuff like that out there. So uh, we've got some ties out there and, you know, the shoots and a bunch of that stuff that's that we get out our way. You know, Oregon's definitely on our radar, a fantastic beer state as far as we're concerned. All right, well, thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks.
Thanks to Josh and Dane for their practical tips. It really helped me out over the coming days of the festival. So I hit the floor, started exploring. I made a point of exploring beers that I just can't get in the Pacific Northwest. So I visited Tennessee, I visited New England, I visited Florida, and as well, Southern California. Your name is? Cat Weist, C-A-T-W-I-E-S-T. Media trained, I love it. (laughs) So uh, which brewery are you representing and where are you from? Seabright Brewery in Santa Cruz, California. Which is your brewery? I do not own the brewery, but I do run the entire brewing department. So what beers do you specialize in? I like to think that I just specialize in beer, which is a ridiculous thing to say. There are a few things that I've made that are more popular than others. Um, I've been tweaking our flagship recipes to make them a little bit more balanced, and I've been trying to follow the trends, not be a trend chaser, and still have something for everyone. And you package your beer, right? Where do you ship it to? I, I, I don't ship the beer. Uh, I have no distributor. I do package in cans and occasionally 22-ounce bombers, uh, but my beer is only available where I personally deliver it. All right, and you're pouring a very unique beer here that I had last night from you. Uh, it's called the Mermaid Tail. Uh, what's special about that beer? The Mermaid Tail Ale I am incredibly proud of. Uh, there's so many special things about that particular beer. I wanted to... I wanted to make a beer for the experimental category. I, I kind of designed the recipe especially to get it into GABF. And to become experimental, you either have to have uh, something unique in the brewing process that doesn't fit into any other category or like a melding of qualities that would make it multi-category. So I peeled 100 pounds of beets, and uh, personally, which did suck. Uh, <laughs> So I got beets in the mash tun, I got beets in the kettle, I got blood oranges in the whirlpool, I got blood orange juice in fermentation, and I've got glitter in the kegs. So it is a pink, sparkly, fruit field beer, and there is absolutely nothing like it. It, It's very pretty. It is gorgeous, and uh, even better, it's delicious. Now I met you uh, my first night here at the Pink Boot Society event for the Rare Beers. How long have you been a member? I've been a member as long as I've been brewing, which is a little over five years. Uh, I'm really proud of the organization. I'm the co-president of the SF Bay Area chapter, and I volunteer as much as I can. It's a fantastic group that's done a lot for me, and I think it does a lot for a lot of women. Is your uh, chapter growing a lot in the Bay Area? It really is. We're huge. All right. And because I'm from the Pacific Northwest, I have to ask, do you have a favorite from the Pacific Northwest in terms of beer? A favorite beer from the Pacific Northwest? This might be an unpopular thing to say, but I'm gonna say it. Uh, I have on the table right here my Jasmine Pale Ale, and long before I was a beer enthusiast, and even really before I was a beer drinker, I had Elysian's Avatar IPA, and it had Jasmine in it. And as somebody who thought that PBR was like, okay, but I'd rather have tequila, I loved that beer. And when I moved back to California, I couldn't find it anywhere, and I thought, one day I'll make a jasmine beer, but like way before I even knew how to make beer. So now that I'm the head brewer of a small enough place that I have the autonomy to brew whatever I want, the jasmine pale ale that I have sitting on this table is actually directly inspired by the Avatar IPA, and I know that Elysian is no longer independent, and therefore this might be an unpopular statement. 
Well, but they were independent when you had it. They were independent when I had it. Royal, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks for coming and checking out. I guess I should pour you a Jasmine now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Matt Parker. And who do you represent? Deschutes Brewery. And uh, you are in charge of Woody. I am indeed. Very big job. It is. It's an uh, undertaking for sure. So we're at the Great American Beer Festival, and uh, this is the first time Woody's been here, right? It is, and the first first time in nine years, actually. And th- this makes life considerably easier, right? It does a little bit. We usually bring a couple kiosks that we have to build, and we have to bring in every part hand by, by hand truck, and it's a lot of work. Woody, we can pull in, drop him, good to go. So because this is audio, what is Woody for those that don't know? Yeah, it's kind of hard to visualize unless you actually see it in person, but... Woody is a traveling beer barrel uh, that opens up into a pub. We have six tap handles that we can serve beer out of on both sides. Today we have six tap handles outside of Woody, and we have four tap handles out of a jockey box to showcase ten different beers. So how's the response been? Like, how the crowd's been like? It's been great. You know, we're in a little different location this year than what we have normally been. Um, you're, you're far removed from the Pacific yeah. Northwest. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So that was a little bit of a worry for us, but it's been great. I mean, I think this this Woody's definitely an attraction no matter where he is, and he always pulls a crowd. So you go coast to coast with him, right? I do. I'm actually, after this festival, we're on our way to Roanoke, Virginia, to where we're going to have our new production facility. All right, man. And what's your favorite part about being at the Great American Beer Festival, and how long you've been here? This is only my second year coming, personally, but I think... Just seeing the sheer magnitude of what this festival is and seeing how many people are psyched out to try all different types of craft beer, but especially for the people, the fans of Deschutes Brewery, it's really, really fun. Thank you very much, man. Yeah, thank you, man. I had an opportunity to sit down with a representative from the Brewers Association because I wanted to learn about their independent seal they introduced this year, as well as what they plan to focus on in the coming year. My name is Julia Hers, and I'm the craft beer program director for the Brewers Association. And how long have you been with the Brewers Association? Collectively, about 14 years. All right. And how long in your current role? My current role since 2007. We're at the Great American Beer Festival. With you being at the BA, uh, how many festivals in total? And did you come before you started working at the BA? My first introduction to the Brewers Association was volunteering at this very event in the 90s, 1994, I think. I have only missed a few over the years and I didn't track it. So I've been to most since 94, which is nutty. So how did, how did beer find you? I grew up in a household with two big factors. My dad's a foodie, was always pushing us to try experimental things, taste outside the box. And then my brother had a beer can collection. So before I was 10, we were going to a place called the Brick Skeller that's no longer around in D.C. They had a, a beer list that was over 500 bottles, not even draft, of the world's, any beer you could get, the Brick Skeller tried to get it and carry it on their menu. And so my parents would take us there to support my brother's beer can collection. So before I was 10, I was thinking about different kinds of beer, different styles of beer, marketing and packaging on beer, and watching my parents be in a good mood and, you know, enjoy beverages around food. So that was a big seed that was planted. So has your career path always been beer involved in some way? Nope. I always did want to homebrew. And eventually in my 20s, I was broadcast journalism major in college. 
had a job at Washington DC bureau actually in the, in out of college, which my parents were jazzed. I was jazzed and then I didn't like it very much. It wasn't what I expected. It um, can be a grind. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it takes a certain personality type, many good people that I worked with that went has still are in their careers gone very far, but it wasn't for me. So I left and I took a cross country trip just to kind of clear my head almost a year on the road. And on that trip, we would go back country with a golden Eagle pass, um, national forest, BLM land, or national parks. Then we would backcountry three or four nights, come into the towns. If we didn't know anyone in those towns, because we were on the road almost a year, we would just go to the local brew pub. And that's where we connected with the most like-minded people. And we usually were given great advice and people, kind of the community of brew pubs took care of us on that trip. And the good places to eat and where to yeah. get supplies and all that. Stuff. Yeah. And yeah. so it was on that trip. I'm like, I want to work. I want to be one of these people. I want to work in a brewery. All right. So did you end up working in a brewery? I tried. You can't see me on the radio. I'm about 100 pounds in a wet towel. Um, and I had every right to work in a brewery. I still do. It shouldn't be based on size. There's many innovations for brewers, men and women. It's not based on a certain weight requirement for what you should and shouldn't brew. You should be a brewer because you can brew kick-ass quality beer. Mm -hmm. But when I did try, I didn't know enough in brewing. I was home brewing, but I didn't really have my game down. So when I eventually landed in Boulder, Colorado, the Brewers Association had a position and that's what I went for. All right. In the past year, the independent craft brewers mark has come out from the BA. What started that program and what's been the uptake like? So you're asking about the independent craft brewer seal. This yeah. is a new certified mark that's on, frankly, most every brewery in the hall here has signed on to download the art. Um, we launched it on June 27th. And since then, we have 2,300 plus breweries that have accessed the art to use it in some form, representing 75% of the volume of craft beer made. So that's incredible. It's been an option for years to help small and independent craft brewers differentiate themselves. That's actually part of what my role at the Brewers Association as craft beer program is all about, is to advocate and educate that there's an important place and value for supporting brands from small and independent producers. And so we want to see that continue to happen. And in the last few years, it's gotten a little uh, tougher out there. There's been a lot of acquisitions and formerly independent breweries have been purchased by big beer and you can't tell on the label that they're purchased. A very blurred line right there. Yeah, things are muddy. Yeah, from the regular consumer's perspective that may not actually be that educated in their local market for breweries, right? Right. Things are muddy. If you pick up a beer from a brewery that's been purchased, you wouldn't know who owns them, the parent company. And so since they are, um, big beer is not putting their name on the labels, we decided to create a mark that small and independent brewers can put on theirs. And there you have it. So now it's it's out there and we'll give it a year. Um, and I think you're going to start to see it everywhere. <laughs> so what's been the BA's role in trying to educate the consumer? Or is it done more on the local brewer's level to get the awareness done? We're still in the adoption phase. So adopting, getting breweries to adopt is where we're focused now and all in good time. If anybody wanted to sign up as their own brewery, what what is the process and the steps that they need to go through? Sure. So if you're a brewery listening and you signed up and we're calling all of you, um, we know your list, we know your name and the list because we want to win you over. Uh, Brewersassociation.org forward slash seal is the place to download the actual art. You must have an active TTP license. You must 
qualify as a small and independent and traditional craft brewer, according to the Brewers Association definition. And by the way, 98% of the 5,700 breweries in the U.S. are small and independent craft brewers. And uh, you must sign a license agreement to use the art. So uh, a topic that came up because we were at morning brunch event, one of the topics that was raised by Sarah from Fremont was she kind of sees this next wave of malts being the new hops in terms of the industry. Do you at the BA also see that? And what is the BA doing to support those industries outside of just beer? Sure. I loved that she brought that up and that was such a poetic statement because it's been said that hops are the soul of beer and now it's on to malt. The BA has a very prolific technical team and committees. We are a membership-driven organization. We have seven subcommittees and one of them is focused on access to raw materials. And we have a supply chain director, Chris Swerzy, who also also runs the judges for the Great American Beer Festival. And he is focused on trying to ensure that craft brewers have access to both malted barley and hops and the like. So the efforts are deep. You know, we have six-figure grant investments um, for grant programs for raw materials too. And so that's a that's a big deal. With your role at the BA, how much of an influence has the Pacific Northwest in your eyes been on the greater industry? Absolutely. Like for example, hops, 30% of the world's hop supply comes from the Pacific Northwest. We know that, right? And so that is a huge part of the innovations that I think has gone on in craft brewing. You know, the number one selling U.S. beer styles still today, undisputed, is American lager. The second style, which is craft brewer driven, is an American IPA. And American IPA is centric because of the hops. And frankly, the hops from this country, the hops with forest flavors, the hops with fruit and tropical notes. And that is directly a result, I think, of where the Pacific Northwest has taken us. You do have a history in the U.S. where we had hops coming from all parts of the country. And that's certain on the rise again. Also super cool. And I don't know, frankly, um, for the barley regions in the Pacific Northwest, how prolific they are, but where the maltsters are, right? You have maltsters who are taking this barley and advancing it. And that is a key part. And you have some active maltsters in, in your area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're doing an amazing, amazing job out there. And a lot of the local breweries there are actually converting fully over to their malts as well that I'm aware of. So do you think we'll see those specialty malt guys emulated throughout the country um, in the coming Yeah, years? you have a Craft Malsters Association now. So they're representing more than a handful. I haven't looked at the latest numbers, but, you know, 2040 Craft Malsters, and forgive me, I don't have my latest stats, but that that is a community that's growing and powwowing, doing that collective powwow with each other too. And they're, they're working with heirloom malts. We also just published a book uh, in the last year or two from John Mallet. John Mallet published Malt the book malt. And that is an incredible book that talks about a lot of heirloom malts and a lot of new ingredients to kind of chase down and have craft brewers start to brew with. We have the independent seal, which is the initiative from uh, the Brewers Association. What are the key things that you're going to focus on uh, next year? Oh, we're focused on everything from draft system maintenance is a huge thing. Working with retailers, beer clean glass, things on the government affairs side is huge. Very, very huge. We're working on the threats to aluminum being shipped into the country right now. We're working on licensing and getting craft brewers to be able to have access to an open database so they're within the laws and actually the music they play in their pubs and tap rooms is legal. Um, I talked about the grant programs and the raw material work and beer lover education too. So, I mean, the list is so prolific sometimes as a national 
National Association, it's really hard to kind of summarize it all. But I think if you look at any angle in beer in the U.S., somehow, someway, our members through the association are working on it and working to advance it. Now, from the consumer's perspective, is there a resource on your website that they can go to get better educated? Oh, yeah. Craftbeer.com is our main beer lover website. We get millions of visitors a year and is the number one website talking about the stories behind the small and independent craft brewers. We also have beer and food resources that is unmatched, untouchable. And that's another big piece of our work of 600 culinary institutions. We're not able to get one documented that has beer education on the same level as wine. So kind of crazy there. And so we have the, the the resource that they could beef up their curriculums from it. And the public has access to that as well. And finally, what does the Great American Beer Festival mean to you? Oh, it's like a national holiday. You know, <laughs> these guys hanging out are, are volunteers. There's more than 4,000 volunteers. As I said, I started as one. And this is, you know, I think the main Super Bowl of beer. We have the competition going on behind the scenes right now with 8,000 plus beers number one commercial competition in the U.S. is the Great American Beer Festival competition. Most exciting part of the whole week is the awards and seeing who's deemed to make the best commercial example of certain beer styles. And I love how the hall is set out by geography. The majority of of beers made in the U.S. aren't distributed out of their own state of origin. So I can walk in the hall and it's like a beer lover's dream. I can go to, you know, the Southeast and find beers that I would not normally get. And so you really have it all in one place for three days. Yeah, I made a point of going to like the Tennessee brewers and like the Texas brewers because I just can't get that stuff in the Pacific Northwest. So it's, yeah. it's a, it's a great, yeah. <laughs> great one time. Ounce, great. One ounce at a time. Greatness. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. I, thank you. I mean, it's very busy, so I really appreciate your time to chat with me. Yeah. Thank you back. Big thank you to Julia for her time. So that was day one, and it was a very, very overwhelming experience for me. I just wasn't prepared for the sheer size of it. I mean, I knew it was a big festival, but man, 16,000 people a session, and it was massive. There was over 3,800 beers being poured and over 800 breweries participating. It was insane. Uh, Very much enjoyed it, but it is massive. So the following morning, I was fortunate enough to be invited to the Sam Adams brunch where there was a great panel talking about what it means to be independent and other challenges facing the craft brewing industry in the coming years. After the discussion, I got a chance to interview a few of the people that were on the panel. My name is Bart Watson. I'm chief economist at the Brewers Association. How long have you been with the BA? Uh, over four years. It's my fifth GABF. It's All right. Flown by. All right. So, uh, the beer industry, we had a pretty good year, didn't we? You know, it, it depends on what part of the beer industry you're looking at. Um, overall, the beer industry was, well, I, as Jim Tommy, I shouldn't say flat, it was stable. Dollar sales were up a little bit since we are seeing that premiumization going on. And uh, the craft brewing community is having a little bit better year, a 6% growth last year and 5% growth at mid-year 2017. And overall, what is the economic impact last year? Um, so in 2016, the economic impact was $68 billion, billion with a B, pretty tremendous, and a, and a jobs impact of more than 456,000 full-time equivalent jobs. And where in the country are we seeing the most growth in terms of like openings? Well, we're seeing growth everywhere. You know, that's, that's the simple answer. You know, as you get into it, one of the interesting things is that we haven't really seen the catch-up that everyone keeps expecting, that a lot of the openings are still happening in the states where there are a lot of breweries. So there's still a lot of openings in places like Washington or California. We maybe have seen a little bit of a slowdown in some of the really leading edge states, you know, Colorado, Oregon, where those per capita numbers are super high. But we're still seeing a lot of very small breweries opening in even, you know, very mature markets. 
Do you have like a percentage of uh, breweries that have actually closed in the last year? It's been running very low. Um, so we've typically been running, you know, 70, 80 closings a year. I think that's going to rise a little bit this year. But, you know, out of the 6,000 brewing companies, I mean, we're still talking about a remarkably low percentage of the breweries closing. So what's your speculation that would drive that increase of shutdown? Well, well some of it is just a large numbers. You know, we have 6,000 breweries. So even if you're still at the same percentage, you know, 3%, you know, I mean, you're going to get 180 that close. And so that number is going to rise just as we have more businesses. And, you know, businesses fail for a whole variety of reasons, many of which have nothing to do with the market and have everything to do with the difficulty of running a small business. But we're also in a more competitive place. And so some of the closures are going to come in markets like Denver or Portland or Seattle, where it's crowded out there. Right. Ten years ago, we saw we see these breweries that are well established now. They have a huge uh, market reach in terms of their distribution. But the breweries that I've been speaking with and been seeing opening really seem to be like around the seven barrel range. Are, are we going to see more of a trend of the super hyper local brewery? I think we are. And, and that is still the vast majority of breweries in the country. I mean, yeah. 75% of the breweries in the country make less than a thousand barrels, yeah. uh, which is which is pretty tremendous. I mean, 75% of the breweries in the country making less than 1% of the beer. And, you know, the market's crowded out there. It's hard to get it, you know, on the shelves at a supermarket. It's hard to get a new tap handle. And so, you know, a seven barrel, a 10 barrel, you know, that allows you to be local, nimble. You know, many of them are focusing on selling a high percentage of their beer directly at their tasting room or in, you know, very limited local distribution. And, you know, that might be the right size for a lot of new breweries to see where the market is for their beers. And you can always scale up. It's much harder to scale down. Yeah. So we're at the Sam Adams brunch. You were just on the panel. Uh, one thing that came up in the panel was how malt is going to be the new hops. So is the BA doing anything to help and support those industries? And where is that kind of focusing in the country? Well, I'm glad you asked that because I think one of the things that's you know undernoticed in a BA program that I love and is really important is we're doing a lot more to fund you know basic raw materials research. Uh, so we have we're giving out about a half million dollars in research grants a year, um, and a lot of those are going on the raw material side, particularly into malting barley, thinking about malting barley in new ways. You know, most of the malting barley in this country was developed with the large brewers in mind. And if you're making an all malt beer, you may be looking for slightly different characteristics, you know, different levels of protein. So uh, we're certainly trying to invest there. I think a lot of the innovation, too, is going to come on the malting side and the micro maltster side. You know, that's, you know, we're certainly working with them, you know, trying to help them understand the market and, and what brewers want. Yeah, like an example in the Pacific Northwest for me, Skagit Valley Malting. I'm not sure if you're aware of them. Yeah, but, they're probably but, the best known up there. Yeah. They're doing a great job. Yeah. So, Carpenter. so are we going to see like more of those guys, do you think? You know, I think we'll see more, though. You know, it's a tough market. And I think there's a great space out there for specialty malts. I mean, they're also doing some interesting stuff with, you know, ancient grains. I mean, they have their purple Egyptian uh, variety that they're using. But, you know, to make the economics work, they're also going to have to find brewers who are interested in base malts. And the cost there is, is a challenge. I mean, there's scale in malting as well. So we'll see how many can survive. I think there is going to be a place, you know, as we move to this local taproom model, brewers who are making a little bit more margin can look for things that differentiate themselves on the raw material side. So that all local beer is something that drives people to their brand, to their taproom. Um, so I think that space will grow, though. How big it can get, I think that's an open question. So how big of an impact does the Pacific Northwest have on the industry as a whole? Well, I think you're going to see it's more in the Pacific Northwest than in other places because so many of the raw materials are grown there. Uh, depending we're, on how, we're lucky. <laughs> yeah, depending on how far you extend the Pacific Northwest. I mean, Idaho is the leading barley growing state in the country now, you know, and, and Washington also grows a lot of barley. And obviously the hops are heavily concentrated in primarily Washington, but then secondarily Oregon and Idaho. And so that economic impact goes more there because you're getting that supply chain. And, you know, the, the hops industry in the U.S. is now growers are, are, you know, I think it was a half billion dollar crop last year, which is the most all time. And, you know, a lot of that money is getting reinvested in new trellis and new hop fields. 
Do you homebrew at all? Occasionally. Uh, not as much as I'd like being on the road so much, but you know, we get to homebrew with work, which is one of the many perks of this job. And I'm trying to think about the most recent thing we made was, but uh, we, we make a lot of fun stuff. We're always pushing the envelope. We did a, a, a golden kind of scotch you know, ale recently that was a lot of fun. And it's always fun to play around with the system. Well, thank you so much for your time. Wonderful. Thanks for having me. My name is Sarah Nelson. I work at Fremont Brewing. And you were on the Sam Adams panel this morning at the brunch. How exciting was that to be asked part and to be a part of the panel? I was thrilled to be asked. It's a huge honor uh, to represent craft brewing to so many people in the local and national media. Yeah, because it was it was really focused on the independents and the independent brewers. Yeah, I think you guys did an excellent job of just because it was various breweries from around the country, and you touched on something that I think is is really big in the Pacific Northwest, and that is the the drive towards the independent malting. How big of a factor is that for you guys? And do you see that growing in our region at all in the next few years? Yes. So we are big supporters of the Cascadia Grains Conference, which brings together brewers, distillers, bakers, anybody that uses grains. We're trying to ultimately grow the grains economy west of the Cascades because before Prohibition, it was uh, that was a major crop. And then Prohibition happened and Kent turned into warehouses and then tulips and whatever else in there. So there are reasons why we want to revitalize it. Number one, uh, it's an economic generator. It gives, it gives farmers one more crop. It fixes the soil. It's good for many reasons on an ecological basis. It's also another way that we can innovate. Like I said, malt is the new hop. You know, when we consider that the percentage of hops in a beer glass is much less than the malts. We need to really explore more flavor profiles of, of malts. It's more subtle, but it's very important. And so um, that means supporting local maltsters. There's Skagit Valley Malting that we work with that does a great job for us. And we're seeing that model pop up across the country. And also, finally, there is a sustainability angle because it means that we're not bringing our heavy malts from long distances uh, it's just right up the road so the ultimate goal for you is you'd want to be like the 100 mile brewery right where all your ingredients is sourced within 100 miles uh, how far is Yakima from us I think jazz borderline <laughs> jazz borderline. the more local the better yeah um, because I do believe that there is uh, a local flavor and it's people want to know where their food comes from and they will care more about and pay more for ingredients or, or products made with ingredients that are close by. And it supports smaller farmers yes. instead of the big agribusiness. So that's important. And, and I don't, I hate stereotyping, but I think it does play a role. Like us in the Pacific Northwest, there is a culture of we really want to know where our food comes oh, from. Yeah. And, and how are we not damaging our environment because we live in a very precious environment. Uh, do you see that trend kind of like going across the country as well uh, with some other breweries? I think that it all depends on the climate and where these crops can be grown. But yes, I do think that, well, you just see the organic growth across the country. So I do think that there is a desire for more sustainable agricultural practices. And in some communities, that's going to take hold faster and stronger than in other communities. It really depends on educating the consumer. And we, Fremont Brewing, we are not doing a very good job of educating our consumer about why we are using Skagit grain, why that pint might be a dollar more. It's just like there's so many things to do in a brewery. Sometimes the marketing and explaining, you know, 
takes a back seat. And I think once the consumer does learn the fact of like, this came from Skagit Valley, which right. is just basically on your doorstep in yeah. comparison to where most of the other grain comes from, I think they would be willing to pay that extra dollar knowing that it is going back to their local business, right? So. Right. And one of our beers, our Kawicha Canyon Fresh Hop Ale... That was, was a delicious beer. Yeah, yeah. It, it's certified salmon safe, the first salmon safe beer in Washington. And we would get it organic certified except for a glitch at the uh, uh, hops plant. But the point is that those things matter to consumers as well. But, you know, there is no decal for what I'm talking about with the Skagit grain. So it just depends on, you know, taking the time and, and putting the resources into teaching folks what we're doing. And I have to say, excellent run on all the fresh hops this year. Oh, Thanks. They, were, yeah. they were beautiful this year. Um, so how long have you been coming to the Great American Beer Festival? Gosh, so Matt, my husband, has been going ever since probably 2010, maybe 2009. I came two years ago, and we tend to um, switch off CBC and GABF uh, unless we can get Grandma to stay with our two kids for several days. So this year it was my year to come here. How important is this festival and event with everything surrounding it for you as a brewery owner? You know, that's an interesting question because because people come from all over the country and we're not distributed in a lot of places. So tasting our beer uh, might be a thrill, but it, you know they might not be able to get it into their hometown. So in terms of growing our market, I, you know, I don't know if this is the, the best venue, but it's it's great for my brewers and, and my other staff to just meet other people in the industry. I think it's great for our cohesiveness. They learn things, and it's the informal relationships that happen at this event that are the highest value. Have you had any collaborations come out of it? You know, they're probably talking about it at, the, at our booth, but I don't know, but we always do the um, meet the producer booth, so we always want to talk to our folks, which is... It requires a lot of staffing because you have to be there the whole time. So um, it's it's expensive and it's uh, labor intensive, but that's what we want to do. We don't want somebody else to pour our beer. We want to pour it ourselves and interact. We've won awards. I don't know if we'll win an award this time. I think that, you know, maybe one of our fresh hops has a good chance, but we'll see. Well, thank you so much for your time. And I'm looking forward to finally coming down and visiting you and doing a proper episode. I mean, I've been to Fremont before, but... Not in a professional capacity right. with the podcast, but uh, but thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much for asking. All right, day two. Here we go. Great American Beer Festival 2017. All right, your name, sir? Billy McDivitt. And uh, where are you from? Longmont, Colorado. I'm with Open Door Brewing Company. And how long have you been open? Uh, our taproom has been open a little over six months, but we've had beer out in the market for just under two years now. Right. And uh, why are you at JBF? Well, we uh, have always been uh, a brewery that likes to get out and talk to our uh, our buyers, the people that are out there in the marketplace. And what a better place uh, than to be out at GABF and get to talk to thousands of people at once. So what are we pouring today? Is this your core lineup? Yes, yes. What we've got is uh, Libertas, which is our rye cream ale. And then we've got Short Arm, which is our IPA. And then Over the Moon, which is a vanilla milk stout. And then later tonight, we're uh, going to release our Citrusaurus Rex, which is a New England-style IPA. And a little later after that, we're going to have Kachel, which is a hoppy wheat. Cool. And you told me a little story about Over the Moon. What's the key ingredient there? Well, so it's a vanilla milk stout. And uh, right now, the price of vanilla is shot through the roof. So it used to only cost us maybe a few hundred dollars to do it. And this year, right now, if we were to redo that beer, it would cost almost $1,600 just for the vanilla. You're going to buy property sometime soon uh, for a vanilla plantation? I'm looking at Madagascar and Fiji. (laughs) 
All right, and uh, anything you're looking forward to at the festival, if you get a chance to go out and around? Yeah, I, it's one of those things where everybody comes from all over the country, and so I love to go to the places like the Northwest uh, and the uh, New England area where we don't get a lot of their beers out here and try some of the smaller ones, where this might be the only place I ever get to try them unless I get the chance to travel. All right, well, hopefully I can come and visit you guys someday. Would love it. Thanks, Aaron. All right, thank you. Uh, Kyle Sherwood. And uh, who are you representing? I'm from Wormtown Brewery from Worcester, Massachusetts. And uh, how long have you guys been pouring at JBF? Uh, so we've been here a couple of years. We've been around since 2010. Uh, but we've been here for the last couple of years. We've started to get a little more involved as we've gone along. Our brewmaster has uh, been judging the last two years. Uh, and we've been pouring for a little longer than that. Right, so I tried your uh, Bottle Rocket Pale Ale. That was delicious. What's, what's involved with that? So it's uh, really cool. It's a rye-based pale ale, which I think can be a little uh, scary for some people because rye can get really abrasive. But we match it up with a really nice hop profile with some mosaic Eldorado and Calypso in there. So you get some really nice spice and tang notes up front. And then really nice grapefruit mango, and even a touch of like pear pith to the back end of it. So I'm from the Pacific Northwest, so I have to ask you, what beers do you like from the Pacific Northwest, and have you had a chance to try any? Uh, so to be honest, not a lot gets out to us out in Massachusetts. There is some awesome stuff out there, and uh, whenever we go out there, you know, for hop selects or anything, we always try to bring some delicious stuff back. But I mean, more than anything, I'm just super jealous of you guys being so close to all those delicious hops, and obviously all the amazing beer that comes out, but just having access to all of those hop farms right there uh, is amazing. And we're, it's just something that makes me super jealous. Yeah, so we have hops. We also have lots of malt fields. Do you have any local malt where you guys are? Yeah, so we actually, our little unofficial official slogan is uh, piece of mass in every glass. There's something from Massachusetts in every one of our beers. And so we work really closely with a malt farm out in Hadley, Massachusetts called Valley Malt, which is really, really has taken off and is doing a lot of great things. But we also work with some hop farms and a lot of other local businesses, farms, things like that in the area. All right. Well, thank you very much for your uh, your time. No, thank you, man. Have a great time. Okay. Yeah, will do. Annie Johnson. And uh, what is your role and what are you showing here? Well, I work at Pico Brew and... My role, I'm the brewmaster in residence, and so I do a lot of R&D brewing for our products, the Zymatic, and then also I run the brewery partnership program we have with the Pico. We have a Pico C and a Pico Pro, so we work with breweries and get a recipe from them and scale it down, and we put it into Pico packs so people can brew them brewery fresh all over the world. And you guys are based out of Seattle, right? We are, yes. And how long have you been a company for uh, I've been at Pico Brew. Wait, this is my this weekend actually is my fourth anniversary of getting to know the people at Pico Brew. Formally in January, it'll be four years. Can't believe it. Woo! So the Pico Brew, what is the system and who's it for? Well, the Zymatic that we have, which is our first product, is our flagship, and those are for home brewers. Some home brewers that are more advanced, looking to scale down. And then also for first-time homebrewers, it works really well. But the whole Pico Brew technology is automating the brew process. So like a large brewery, taking that automation and scaling it down so you can have it on your kitchen counter if you want. But automation is consistency. And so that's what we really try to do. You know, Pico Brew was born uh, out of our founders, the brothers Bill and Jim. And they're, you know, they were beers that were never the same. And if you're a real dedicated home brewer, that's what you're always striving for. I want to make this beer again and again and again. 
some people just can't do that or they they just can't for whatever reason. There's a variety of reasons, um, but this really helps them. Yeah, and I think the main part that plays in that is it's a closed system, right? Exactly, exactly. And then our other product, our new products, Pico Pro and Pico C, take it down for more of the enthusiasts. So that's the one we use our brewery partners. But again, people have the ability to do a freestyle version and then make their own beer. And then we also have our newest product, which is our still, which we really like. Super cool, works with all of our products. So these recipe packs, they you can get from coast to coast, right? For brewers or in what, what expansion plans are in that for the recipe packs? Right. Our, our Pico packs are available on our website, at, which we call Brew Marketplace. And our machines are sold all over the world. So it doesn't matter where you live. You can go through the variety of breweries that we have. We have just under 200 now. Each brewery um, gives us about two to three recipes. And then you can use all of any of those. We make them up fresh at our factory in Redmond, just south of Seattle. But we'll also be unveiling a program in the next couple of weeks for home brewers, where they, people that own the Zymatic, can have Pico packs made up and release those to other beer enthusiasts and brewers all over the world. And so we have about 680 of those. So it's really cool. Awesome. Yeah. So how long have you been a home brewer? For, uh, how long have you been a brewer for? Oh, uh, since 1998 was my first lousy batch of brown ale. <laughs> it was bad. Well, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't it wasn't awesome. But have you worked for any breweries? Uh, I have a couple. There was one in Sacramento I did. And that was called Brew It Up. And then also in Seattle, I worked for a little while at Bluebird. But I'm just a little too busy. But brewing hasn't always been my career. I had an extensive career with the California legislature for 20 years. But now my hobby my, is my career. So it's pretty cool. All right. Well, thank you so much. Oh, it's awesome to see you. I'm Gordon. <laughs> Where are you from? Uh, P- uh, Pittsburgh. Cool. And uh, it's it's a pretty big place, so how do you find your friends? Oh, I duck call them. <laughs> friends! I am with friend of the podcast. It's always nice to see a familiar face in the crowd. Nice to see you again, Craig. Yeah, nice to see you too, Aaron. Thanks. Yeah, so Rooftop Brewing. You guys aren't pouring here. You're just here for fun, right? Well, we're here. We're, you know, we, we participated in the competition. And honestly, we're just here as our first year trying to check things out and... Uh, see what it's all about. Right. This is my first year too. So how's your experience been? Uh, we've had a lot of fun for sure. There's a lot of beer here and there's a lot of people here in the beer industry and it's fun to talk to all of them and find out what people are doing in different regions around the country. Yeah. I got pretty overwhelmed when the doors opened yesterday and everybody just swarmed in. So <laughs> It's a sensory overload for sure in, in yeah. every facet. People watching beer and uh, yeah, it's it's pretty much nonstop. <laughs> so since I spoke with you, how's the rooftop going? Rooftop's going well. I, you know, we've had a very busy summer. Seattle had a, a very sunny summer, which is good when you have a rooftop deck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> was it packed almost every night? Uh, yeah. I mean, when the sun was out, we were, we had a lot of people on the deck for sure. All right. So what are the two beers that you entered in the competition this year? Uh, we entered a few beers in the competition. Yeah. Our Braggot, which is called the Hop and Honey. Our, uh, our third anniversary beer, which is a barrel-aged Belgian quad. And our Cafe Ladro-inspired pale ale, it's uh, infused with 
with Cold Brew Coffee from Cafe Ladro. So we're uh, talking on Friday night. Um, the awards are tomorrow, so best of luck to you for that. Oh, thank you. And um, yeah, what has any beer really stood out for you um, from the festival uh, so far? A lot of it has really stood out. You know what? It's the, the problem with a festival this large is it's hard to remember what you had, <laughs> especially when they're one ounce pours and they're unlimited. Yeah. So, uh, I've been taking more notes on kind of things I want to try and, and, and new things I want to do. The Brewers Lab is really interesting. Uh, they, they bring brewers in who are doing some different things. Yeah. And so uh, you get to talk to them and, and uh, find out what, what they're doing and how they're doing it. And, uh, you know, can bring some of those ideas back to, to Seattle, to Rooftop. And, you know, especially a lot of the, the booths and, and the marketing that goes on here, it's, it's pretty impressive. And so it, it gives you a lot of ideas. All right. Well, thank you very much. Great yeah. to see you. Thank you, Aaron. All right. The end of day two. On the final day of the Great American Beer Festival, I attended the awards ceremony in the morning, and I have to say big congratulations to friends of the podcast, Chuck and Up Brewing, who took out two gold medals, Wander Brewing, who also took home a gold medal, and also taking home a medal was Groundbreaker Brewing. So if you want to check out their episodes, go to the website at cascadian.beer. All right, day three, the final day of the Great American Beer Festival 2017. And it was a great day. And especially since we could celebrate with the winners from the awards. I'm with somebody I met on Wednesday at the Pink Boot Society. Your name is? Aaron Hamrick. And who are you representing? I am with Dry Dog Brewing Company. And you are the odd brewery because you don't have a significant body of water around you. So why are you called Dry Dock? <laughs> no, and actually it stems from one of the owners really likes nautical history and everything. And when they, they started with the homebrew shop and then started and then started making beer and that's where it stuck. So I forgot to ask, where are you guys from? We're in Aurora, Colorado. And you won a medal today. We did. We won silver for the Pilsner. And uh, how excited were you? <laughs> so excited. And it's also good when the owners can, you know, get up off their seat that they've been on the edge of for the whole <laughs> award ceremony. It's a little sigh of relief. Was that a category that uh, you were really hoping for? Yeah. So Pilsner, we don't currently can, but it's definitely on the list. So maybe by next year it will be. We never know. All right. So how long have you been with Dry Dock? Just since May. Wow. Yeah. All right. <laughs> How long have uh, you been with beer? So I've been in, I started in the homebrew industry with Blickman Engineering for about two and a half years. And then I just came on at Dry Dock in May. So. Cool. And uh, what's a favorite thing you like to brew? I like to brew, let's see, Saison. You got a favorite flavor of Saison? Hmm, I don't, I don't, no. The last one I did was a pumpkin, but don't hold it against me or anything. <laughs> I did hear that one guy in the award, <laughs> at the awards. Pumpkin category, boo. Yeah, exactly. Okay, don't hold yeah. it against me, but that was the last one I brewed, okay? <laughs> so have you got a chance to try anything from around the floor? Yes, I have had some opportunity to get around the floor. Today I'll really get to. I pour first so then I can I can go try everything, but there's so much to try. <laughs> it's overwhelming. Yes. So because I'm from the Pacific Northwest, I have to ask you, what do you know about the Pacific Northwest in terms of beer, and do you have a favorite? Ooh... Mm. I really like sours, so I definitely went by Rare Barrel. Let's see. I'm trying to think of a couple other. I can't even remember the other ones, but I spent a lot of time on sours in that area. And I do have to mention, friends of the podcast, Chuck and Nut, they won gold medal for their Kolsch and the Dunkel Lager, and they're pouring over there. So maybe I will we'll, definitely check that out then. Yeah, we'll go over there in, yes, a, in a bit and get sure. some. <laughs> definitely. All right, well, thank you. Have a great night. All right, thank you. All right, your name, sir? Steve Wilson. 
And uh, what brewery are you representing? Uh, Gatlinburg Brewing Company. Where are you guys from? Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Is this your first time at JABF? Absolutely. How's the experience been? It's uh, it's it's been overwhelming, but we're we're getting it. Are you almost out of beer, or uh, you're doing pretty yeah, good? Yeah, we're getting close. How's the response been from the people that have been uh, coming and trying your beer? It's been very positive. What do you guys tend to focus on? Really, there is no focus, man. We just make what people ask us to make. Make good beer. Yeah, absolutely. What's your favorite that you're pouring here? Uh, the Highland Dew. It's a Scotch Ale. Cool. And uh, how long have you been making that? Um, actually, not very long. Probably less than a month or so. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time. And uh, yeah, thanks for, thanks for being here. Your beers have been great. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Tim Winning from the Jess Farm Barrel House. And congratulations, you won. We did, yeah. It's been uh, awesome so far. So people loving the beer, and uh, that's one of our kind of staple Brett beers we've had for a while. So Yeah, what's the name of it? Fancy Pants. We're on version 5 in the tap room right now, version 4, 1, gold, and uh, we're going to keep going up from here. So where are you guys based out of? Uh, we're up in Fort Collins, kind of on the east side of town. We're about two years old and a 130-year-old barn, so come check us out. How long have you been open? Uh, just going on two years in November. Cool. This is your first JABF? Uh, first pouring, second entering, uh, and first medal. So we're stoked. <laughs> All right. Congratulations, man. Thanks a lot, dude. Thanks. Cheers. Your name, sir? Uh, Kyle Spoon. And who are you representing? Uh, Sun River Brewing Company. And where are you guys located? Just south of Bend, Oregon, Central Oregon. So you had a big day today. Yes. We, uh, we hauled in two gold medals and a small brewery of the year. So... Right. And uh, what did you win the medals for? Uh, we won for Fuzztail, which is our um, American-style wheat beer with yeast is the category. Uh, I think it was just over 50 entries. Uh, one gold medal with that one, and then we won gold with uh, Cinder Beast Imperial Red Ale. Big, high hops, 10% ABV, 100 IBU, uh, monster beer. So, And then, yeah, small brewery of the year. So, How long have you guys been open? We're on to year five. And how long have you been coming to JABF? Uh, three years now. Uh, first year didn't win anything. Last year won a silver medal in strong pale category with Rippin, our Northwest Ale. And then this year, obviously, kind of exceeded our expectations. So. Just a little bit. Yeah, totally, totally. Because, yeah, there are so many breweries participating. So well done for you guys for uh, taking the medals out and small brewery of the year as well. Yeah, thank you very much. It's a, a huge honor, obviously. Uh, super humbling and uh, we're just happy to be here around in the best industry in the world, in my opinion. So, Cheers. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, man. My name is Ryan Hefner. And uh, who are you representing? I am with Noda Brewing Company. That's N-O-D-A Brewing out of Charlotte, North Carolina. And how many years have you been coming to JABF? Uh, this is my second year at JABF. Uh, we have been open for six years on the 29th and been coming every year since. And we met each other this morning at the awards. We sat next to each other. Yes, we did. And uh, you had a you had a, a couple beers in the categories, but unfortunately, you didn't take one this year. We did not, but uh, that's okay. Uh, we've uh, been lucky enough to medal a couple of years. This year was not our year, but we'll be back next year, no problem. But your fellow statesman at uh, North Carolina sure did a good job. How many? Absolutely. Uh, how many? How many medals went out in for North Carolina? So uh, we had 14 medals for the state of North Carolina this year. Last year we had 17, which was by far the most our state had ever won. But to have 14 this year is still considerably awesome, uh, considering a couple of years before that we had six max. So to see where our state has come in such a short time is incredible. I would like to point out that 
the year before, our brewery had medaled in the herb and spice uh, category. We got a gold medal for that. We were not lucky enough to get one this year, but our good friends at New Serum, who are only a couple uh, booths down from us, managed to get the gold in that exact same category. So super proud of those guys. Absolutely phenomenal. Great beer is coming out of our state. We're very happy for that. So what's the future for North Carolina beer? Uh, I think right now a lot of our breweries are centered on a movement uh, against some lobbyists and uh, the state where we're trying to raise the amount of beer that we can self-distribute as a brewery. So what a lot of breweries, I'm not sure how it is in all states, but as far as our brewery is concerned, we have a 25,000 barrel cap, meaning once you hit 25,000 barrels, you can no longer self-distribute, meaning if you have established yourself for growing your own sales, your own accounts, and all those leads, if you go over a certain maximum percentage of production, you have to sell out to a distributor. For what that means for us in North Carolina, it means that we have to sell out to a distributor who's most likely run by ABMF. We don't like that. As for our brewery in particular, we have our own sales team, our own delivery drivers. If we were to sell to a distributor, those guys would lose their jobs. We would then be having to rely on a distributor to come pick up beer from us, take it to another warehouse, and then take it to the guys that are around the corner from us. So we're fighting to raise that bar. A term you're going to hear in North Carolina is craft freedom, and uh, it's something we are pushing for against the lobbyists and really hoping to raise the bar with. You know, I, the last time I was here was four years ago. We had a little over 100 breweries. Now we have close to 300 breweries. And it's just astounding what's going on in our state and what's growing. I mean, we had guys medal this year that I'd never even heard of before. So it's really cool to see what we're producing in the state of North Carolina. And because I'm from the Pacific Northwest, I have to ask, what's a favorite Pacific Northwest beer? My favorite one? Well, um, actually, we're very good friends as a brewery with the Breakside guys. And those guys medal the heck out of this competition. They killed it this they year. They killed it this year. They've done very well years before, and it was really awesome to see them winning. They're making stellar IPAs. They've actually been inspiration for a number of our beers and a lot of what we do at Nota Brewing Company. So very happy to see what they're doing. So Breakside's really awesome. We love those guys a lot. All right. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, man. Uh, cheers to you guys and your podcast. Thank you for uh, joining us all the way over here uh, on the southeast side. <laughs> it's, it's just so great that everybody's in the same building and we just get to meet everybody. Oh, so. absolutely! Very good. Very cool. Now let's uh, let's uh, let's get some beers. Yeah, let's have some beers. Yeah, yeah. So so we we've uh, we've had a couple beers now. Yes, sir. I mean, your your beers are delicious. Oh, I'm having you. them for the first time. My first beer from North Carolina, actually. So man. thank you. Oh, that is that is really touching to hear, man. I really appreciate that. Um, I loved your herb beer, man. That mojito inspired beer. Yeah. So that Notahito is what we call it. This is not familiar. Noda is a community in Charlotte that our brewery is named after, and our brewers were like, "Wouldn't it be funny to make a mojito inspired?" beer heck yeah let's do it so it was almost a joke and we entered it last year in the urban spice category one gold medal for it and it just blew us away and this year our friends at new serum won the gold for the exact same category 
uh, for their lemon balm and beets wheat beers. Which, which we just had as well. Which we just had. Oh. In, incredible. Fantastic. And that's kind of what I wanted to kind of leave on was to say, you know, part of coming to this festival, it's not about winning awards. It's being enamored by the industry. It's being inspired by your 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 kind of cohorts like we have over 800 different companies all making the same product and we're nearly 4,000 beers 4,000 beers and none of us feel like competitors we all feel like we're here to feed off of each other and inspire each other and that's one thing our head brewer talked about coming out here he said when you go out here just be inspired be ready to come back and say okay now let's make this awesome thing. And this is what's great about the craft beer industry too, is there is never a run out of ideas. You're never gonna be like, well, we've done it all because somebody's gonna have something else that you've never heard of. I had never thought that lemon bulb and beets would be an awesome thing to put into a beer. Much and, less a gold medal. And le- much less a gold medal. And the same thing that I never thought mint and lime going into a wit beer would do. So. It's just, it's absolutely astounding to be just surrounded by all these people from West Coast to East Coast that you're just like, this is, this is our nation. This is, this is an industry that prides itself on collaboration and camaraderie. And there's, there's no sense of, you know, malice towards anybody. We're all here for the same goal. And let's just make damn good beer and to just enjoy each other's stuff. So it's really awesome to be out here and just meet everybody involved. Yeah, and like at the awards today, like I noticed like the really small breweries end up getting the biggest cheers because like, oh, yeah. because yeah. you know, everybody knows their struggle and everything and, and to pull it off on a national competition. Yeah, and, and really cool on a day like today, you get to walk around and you get to see all the beers that meddled and you get to go up and meet those brewers and say, hey, you made a damn good thing. You kicked ass so and it's, it's a mad really dash cool. because a lot of the gold medals are running out because everybody oh, wants it them. is it is yeah so you know we're we're kind of lucky enough that you know we're, we brought a little extra here today and we're just uh we're just we're just loving being here being a part of the show all right it's time for more beer absolutely more beer let's do it all right your name sir mac cummins and uh, how long you've been a volunteer here this is my sixth year and where are you from I live in uh, Bellevue, Washington right now, and Denver before that. So that's that's why you volunteered, because it was the local event for you? You know, we all volunteer because all of the parents on the kids' soccer team, they're all here volunteering, and so it's just a very communal event for everybody. What does it do to the city when you did live here in Denver? Like, was there a different vibe when this was coming up in the city? Oh, yeah. So the whole city transforms from about four or five days before to two or three days after. And everybody just talks about local beer and family and they bring their dogs out. And it's just really communal event. So what's your favorite part about the festival? Oh, my favorite part is uh, probably the half hour before till about three hours in. So everybody comes in. They're super excited. They're all trying beer they've never had from all over the country. Everybody wears crazy outfits and just has a really good time. Is there a standout beer for you this time around? So I am very uh, parochial about the Colorado beers. So for me, it's all about Great Divide Yeti and the whole offshoot and Left Hands Milk Stout um, and probably, honestly, like Odell Mercenary and Ska Modus Operandi and a few of those. Right. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for volunteering as well and making this event happen. Awesome. Thank you. What's your name? 
Brian. And where are you from? Black Bottle Brewery. And where are you located? Fort Collins, Colorado. How long have you been open? Uh, almost five years now. And what do you specialize in, sir? Everything. Everything? Honestly, everything. We do everything from barrel-aged sours to cereal milk stouts to American IPAs to Belgian triples. Yeah, everything. How long have you been coming to JABF? Uh, as the festival, this is our fifth year for myself, fourth year. Cool. And uh, what, are, what are you pouring today? Because I just had something very tasty from you. What was that? We are pouring our German-style Kolsch, which won bronze uh, two years ago at the Great American Beer Festival. Our Belgian triple, which won silver last year at JABF. Uh, then we also have a tart cherry raspberry lambic and a dry hopped Brett barrel-aged sour, as well as our Pro-Am, which is a Lichtenheiner. Uh, it won silver this year for the Pro-Am style. Sweet. And how's Fort Collins? Because I've actually had a lot of beer from Fort Collins while I've been here. Like, what's the beer scene like in Fort Collins? The beer scene is blowing up every, each and every day. Like, you can't get better. You can't go anywhere else in the country for better beer than every day as you, what you're going to get in Fort Collins. Right. And uh, because I'm from the Pacific Northwest, what beers do you like from the Pacific Northwest? Oh, man, you put me on the spot there. Uh, Gigantic from yeah. Portland. I absolutely love Gigantic. The Gin Barrel Age Double IPA, you can't beat that one. So for me, that would be my go-to every time if I could. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. John Hawkins. And uh, who are you representing? Here with Bandon Brewing Company. This is your first year here, huh? It is. Pretty exciting, uh, especially uh, tonight. As you can hear in the background, it's a little bit off the hook. So we recorded an episode together a couple days ago, and that'll be coming out soon. But uh, just briefly, uh, how long have you been open for? So the brewery itself, we actually just had our grand opening about a month and a half ago. Um, it's been a long process. I think anybody who's been through it can give testimony to the challenges. We certainly tried hard to, to meet our deadlines, but boy, there's always something that comes up that uh, delays you or, or spins you backwards for a little bit. All that overcome, we, we had a restaurant open a year ago, and we had our brewery grand opening a month and a half ago. So how's this festival been for you? How's it, how's it treated you? Fantastic. Again, I'm just floored by the uh, collaborative spirit of the whole industry. Uh, it's been a great opportunity to meet people, to get a whole lot of feedback, uh, and, and even share some ideas with some other brewers. We can do some nice collabs. It's really been a lot of fun. Looking forward to coming back next year with uh, both guns loaded. So have you had a chance to try much? What stands out for you? Boy, I'll tell you, I fell in love with a, a few sours that uh, I probably otherwise would not have thought to brew myself. Some pretty creative folks out there doing some on-the-edge brews. Um, I look forward to, to experimenting a little bit more and getting out of the shell a bit. So, you've only been open a month. Have you run out of beer here at the festival? Funny you would ask. We are literally, our last keg there is floating now. So, um, next year, uh, we're either going to pour some <laughs> samples or bring more beer, whichever they'll let us do. And on our upcoming episode, you talked a lot about your IPA, and that yeah. was the first night that we yeah. recorded that. I came here, finally found you guys near the end yeah. of the night, and I said, hey man, what about that beer we talked about? And yeah. you said, too late. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. we're looking forward to next year. We're, we'll see if we can get a couple more uh, kegs on the wagon and see if we can carry that IPA through the end of the session. All right, so uh, how can people find out more about you if they want to come down and visit? You know, we're down uh, Southern Oregon, Bandon. Uh, it's a beautiful little spot, especially if you like golf. Um, our website is pretty easy, bandonbrewingco.com. They can look that up. Probably about the easiest way to find us. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Aaron.
I'm Dylan Schatz, a brewmaster at Mad River Brewing. And where are you guys located? We are in Humboldt County, California, about five and a half hours north of San Francisco, about an hour south of the Oregon border, right on the coast. I met you guys last night at our hotel bar, and I did the research. You're technically part of Cascadia. This is true. We could also be an easy part of uh, Jefferson State if we would like to. <laughs> so, how long have you guys been open? Uh, we were founded in 1989. Bob Smith was our founder. He's a home brewer out of Chico, moved up to Humboldt County, uh, wanted to open a brewery. He bought the original Sierra Nevada system from Ken Grossman. We started on that. We've been brewing ever since. And I mean, you showed me photos of that last night, and like that's a, it's a, it's a very impressive system to say the least. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's uh, the most labor-intensive thing you've ever seen, but it also makes some of the best beer you've ever had. We won nine JBF medals with that system. So how long have you been coming to JBF? Uh, personally, this is my ninth consecutive year as a brewery. We have entered for twelve years. And uh, what stands out for you? Have you had a chance to try much around around the festival this year? Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I get around a little bit. I mean, what stands out for me more than just all the beer that's here is the brewers and camaraderie that we have. Getting to see these guys again, you know, just getting to talk shop, you know, try each other's stuff and just have a good time. You know, it's like it's great to catch up with everybody. So what would be a quick tip for somebody that's uh, home brewing to make better beer? Uh, keep it clean, sanitation. Above all, yeah, just keep it clean. You know? So how can guys find you if uh, they want to come visit you? If you take the 101 north or south, um, we are seven miles east of the 101 highway uh, in Humboldt County uh, on the 299. So if you're coming over from Redding off the I-5 corridor, right before you hit the 101, we're right there. Right near Eureka as well, right? Yeah, Eureka Arcata, um, Humboldt State University is a very central location to us. Uh, we have a lot of students come in, but yeah, we're right there. Um, come on by, yeah, we'd love to see you. And if you're ever in Humboldt County, well, just come see us. We have six breweries in Humboldt County, all within a 45-minute drive of each other. So, Mad River, Redwood Curtain, Six Rivers, Eel River, Lost Coast. Come on by, see us all. Right? We'd love to have you. Well, thank you so much, man. Absolutely, thank you. All right. There are way too many people to thank here. <laughs> so I'll just say thank you so much to everybody that I met during the Great American Beer Festival in Denver. It was truly an amazing experience, and I had such a great time. I want to give a special shout-out to Lindsay as well. She was looking after the media team, and so big thanks to her for keeping us all organized and uh, being really informative. Really nice to work with you, Lindsay, so thank you. Also, a big shout out to the Brewers Association for putting on the event and the hundreds of volunteers that made it possible. Thank you very much, everybody. If this is your first time here, why not subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts? You can also go to our website at Cascadian.beer. If you want to follow us on social media, we're at Facebook.com forward slash Cascadian Beer. We're also on Twitter at Cascadian Beer and on Instagram at Cascadian Beer Podcast. While at the Great American Beer Festival, I also recorded a lot of other episodes with some breweries, and those will be coming out in the coming weeks, so be sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. My name's Aaron, and thank you so much again for listening. I know this is the longest episode I've done, but there was just so much to cover over three days. So thank you so much for listening. Until next time, remember, support your local.